My name is Daniel. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning, if you're joining us, we are in the book of Malachi. And we're in Malachi's second prophecy, his second oracle. And if you have trouble finding Malachi, I explained this last week. The Bible is about three-fourths uh, the Old Testament, about one-fourth the New Testament. And Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So go about three-quarters of the way. If you see names that you recognize, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, You've gone too far. If you recognize or actually don't recognize names, then you haven't gone far enough because you're going to hit books like Zephaniah and Obadiah and Amos, words and names we never use anymore. So that's how you find it. <laughs> Malachi. Uh, and before we read, let's pray and ask that God would bless our teaching this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you. We thank you. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you honor and glory because of your son, Jesus Christ, who is the word of God from all eternity, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God eternal. We give you praise, Holy Spirit, who's the third person worthy of all honor, glory, and worship. God, we worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we come before you now in awe and in reverence for who you are, in awe and in reverence that you are our creator, that you're our redeemer, and that you will one day come again in your glory, your honor, your praise, will fill all of creation. Your whole world will be alive with your grace and your goodness. And God, we look forward to that day. And as we do look forward to that day, we pray now, would you bless us in the hearing and the teaching of this word? Would you help me, Lord? Would you give me an extra measure of your spirit? And would you open our eyes and our hearts to behold the wondrous things of your law? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Before we dive into that verse and those verses specifically, I want to share a story with you this morning. So the other day, uh, this is about a couple months ago, uh, a group of us pastors here, we were going to Chili's for dinner. And I showed up early and I'm walking to the front door of Chili's. And you have to realize there's a teenage boy, probably about 15, 16, 17. He's walking right in front of me and we're going toward the door of Chili's and just by the door is what I believe to be this son's dad, this 16-year-old's dad. He's sitting there, he's waiting for him. And the son is walking toward these doors and he has his head kind of buried in his phone. He's probably texting or he's on social media, something like that. And he's walking, his dad's trying to you know, get his attention. He doesn't really see him, but then finally looks up at the last minute, sees his dad, kind of gives him a, you know, what's up? His dad opens the door for him I kid you not, the son walks in and it's one of those where you have this door and then the door to get into the restaurant. He stops in the middle, waits for his dad to go past him, open the next door and walks in. I'm right behind him. The dad's gracious enough to let me in as well. And we're, we're standing there. We're standing by the hostess station. Kid's still buried in his cell phone and the hostess trying to make eye contact with him says, table or booth. And the dad kind of looks at his son, and I remember this son, his name was Julian, and he says, Julian, what do you think, table or booth? And he looks up and says, I don't care. And just continues on texting. So the hostess kind of looks at the dad, and the dad says, well, you know, it's kind of busy. Why don't we take a table right there in the, in the bar area? So they go, they sit in the bar area, and I'm waiting. Finally, all of the other people who I was having dinner with, the other pastors here, they come. We, we end up sitting in the bar as well, and we're only two tables away from Julian and his dad. And so I'm kind of sitting closest to Julian, 
And I realized very quickly that, you know, he's not really engaging in conversation. This son kind of has his head, again, buried in his phone. He's watching ESPN. He's eating, you know, dipping his, you know, chips, whatever it is. The son is not paying attention to his dad. And I find out it's actually Julian's birthday. So the dad takes out present number one. And Julian opens this present. And I used to play baseball growing up, so I know how expensive this gift was. He pulls out this new, brand new baseball glove. It was a Wilson A2000. They're about $300. And I tell you what, this son gave the most half-hearted thank you I've ever heard. And then present number two comes out. He takes out this present. And it is a authentic, almost looked game-worn Nolan Arenado jersey. Nolan Arenado is a professional baseball player, player an all-star. It had to have cost at least 150, 200 bucks. And I kid you not, he, he moves the nachos and the chips, his, his food out of the way. He puts the Nolan Arenado uh, jersey on the table. He pulls out his phone, snaps a picture of it, and then posts it to social media. Never says thank you to his dad. And at this point, I got up and I slapped Julian in the face. <laughs> yeah, thank you. All right. I really, I, I didn't do that. In fact, I made up that whole story. I really did. There's something that happens within you, though, as I'm telling that story, didn't it? When you see such blatant, insolent disrespect, from a son to his father, nonetheless. That does something in you, doesn't it? God has been dishonored. And his name has been despised. In fact, that's one of the reasons that God sends this prophet, the prophet Malachi, he he sends Malachi, and we saw this last week, that Malachi had been sent to deliver. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, we read these words. He's been sent to deliver the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel. And that word oracle, remember, this, this is a weighty message, a burdensome message. And its intent is to expose the true spiritual condition of the people of God, to expose the hearts and minds of Israel. It's a lot like an ultrasound. When you get an ultrasound, right, it, it's meant to show what's underneath the surface, underneath the skin. It shows what the true condition is going on underneath. Malachi is now, having left his first oracle last week, he steps into his second oracle, and it begins in verse 6. And last week, remember, he's giving an oracle kind of generally to the people. And he's going to speak generally to the people again in this oracle, but it's directed more toward the priests who are the representatives of the people, the representatives of the people spiritually before God. And look in verse 6, Malachi, speaking for God to these priests, says, Just like a blatantly insolent and disrespectful son, you priests have despised and dishonored my name. You've dishonored the name of God himself. Verse 6, Malachi begins saying, A son honors his father and a servant his master. A son honors his father and a servant his master. That's the natural order of things, right? When a father buys a present for a son, you expect the son to say thank you. When a son changes, well, sorry, when the father changes the diaper of a son, you expect the son to express gratitude. They never do. 
They never say thank you in retrospect, but nonetheless, that's what's supposed to happen. Same goes with a boss, a master and a servant, right? The natural order of things is you should give respect and appreciation to the person who has employed you. That's the natural order of things. Everybody expects that. And God, according to the Bible, is a father to the people of Israel. In fact, in the book of Exodus, if you go back to the book of Exodus, when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, he didn't say he was just delivering a a, a nation out of slavery. No, he called Israel his firstborn son. So you would expect that Israel would honor their father. But God says that's that's not what's happening, especially with these priests. In fact, it's the exact opposite. God continues... Through Malachi, if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. And you see, as soon as the priests hear this, as soon as they hear this prophecy, this oracle from Malachi, you can tell it gets underneath their skin. Because it sparks this back and forth argument, an argument laced with antagonism. They retort, replying back to God, what what do you mean? How can you say this? How have we despised your name? What, What do you mean we've despised you? We haven't despised you in the slightest. We're your priests. We're the priests of God. We wake up and serve you in the temple every day. We lead the people in worship. That's what we're supposed to do. We instruct the people in the law. We observe all the holidays and the the festivals that you've given us, God. We wake up the next day. We do it all over again. We take the sacrifices the people bring and we offer them to you on the altar. What do you mean we've despised your name? (laughs) Look at verse 7 because God, in response, responds sharply. He says, Well, do you want to know how you've despised my name? Well, look at the sacrifices that you're bringing me in worship. Verse 7. He says, you are offering polluted food on my altar. Verse 7. Polluted food on my altar. And the priests knew this, realized that the commands for what could be given for a sacrifice And what was prohibited in worship, they were very specific and clear. Remember, we talked about how God had delivered his firstborn son, Israel, out of Egypt. Well, one of the first things that God does after he's delivered them is he gives them instruction on how to worship him. And he says, bring me offerings, bring me sin offerings so that I can forgive you of your sin. And he laid down specific requirements for what those sacrifices should look like. God says... Speaking through Moses now, he said, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering, for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls, of the sheep, or of the goats." You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. 
There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you never thought I would say that in church, right? <laughs> you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner, since there is a blemish in them. Because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. When you worship God, when you offer a sacrifice, a bull, a sheep, a goat for sin, it must be a male without blemish and perfect. Anything else will not be accepted. If it's blind, mutilated, ridden with disease, has a discharge, if it's been torn or cut by a predator, that won't be accepted. No, it must be a firstborn male without blemish or defect. In other words, the sacrifice must be perfect. Very specific. Very clear. But the priests knew. The priests during Malachi's time knew. They knew that's not what they were doing. Remember, Malachi, he's prophesying during around the year 450 B.C. And the temple has just been rebuilt. It had been rebuilt in the year 517 B.C. The previous temple... You remember the previous temple, we talked about this last week, it had been utterly destroyed in the year 587. Decimated, burned to the ground. And it was burned to the ground because God had allowed the Babylonian Empire, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, to come, march against Jerusalem, destroy the temple, burn it to the ground. And the reason, the primary reason that God took his hand of protection off the temple and allowed the Babylonians to come in and destroy the temple was because Israel's worship had become polluted. They had polluted the worship of God. Instead of worshiping God alone, the people erected shrines to other gods in the temple, polluting God's worship. And they had this hodgepodge of worship where they take a little bit of this stuff over here and a little bit of this over here and you know, this God over here, and they would bow down to all of them in the temple of God. Instead of worshiping one God, they kind of worshiped, you know, a syncretism of this God and that God and a little bit of secular life and mishmashed it all together. Their worship also became lax, haphazard. They didn't observe the feasts, the holidays, the festivals that God had set out as a remembrance of him delivering them from slavery. They didn't offer the sacrifices that they had to on a regular basis. They would skip some, go to others as their schedule allowed, and they allowed worship to become kind of a second tier or third tier priority in their life. Yeah, I'll get to it when I can. I'm not going to go up to Jerusalem this year. I, I got a lot on my plate. I just, I, I, don't have, I don't have the time right now. Say hi to everybody for me. And even when they did worship regularly, even when they would bring the sacrifices, even when they would celebrate the festivals and holidays. It wasn't sincere, it wasn't genuine, and they weren't there to please God. Instead, it was kind of mechanical, half-hearted, apathetic, perfunctory, here's my sacrifice, let's pray, let's sing. Can we go home yet? And God's, his response 
to this pollution in his worship, it is equally as sharp. God says this in the prophet Isaiah, who was sent right before the time of the exile, when Babylon would come and destroy the temple. Speaking for God, God speaks through Isaiah and says, I've never made that sound before. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts, bring no more vain offerings, incense. It is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. That was 587. Now it's 450. New temple, new priesthood, but nothing has changed. The worship's still painfully half-hearted, painfully haphazard, an obvious second or third priority at best, and there's virtually no desire to please God with their worship. Instead, it's all about pleasing the self in worship. And you want evidence of that fact? Year 450, Malachi says, and you want evidence of that fact? Well, not much has changed. Just look at your sacrifices. God, through Malachi, says, verse 7, after they say, how have we despised your name? They, Malachi responds, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Here's what Malachi is referring to. The the people would come to this new temple, this new priesthood, and they'd bring their sin offerings and their sacrifices to atone for the sins that they had committed. One would be blind, another would be sick with some sort of disease. Others would have worms or dysentery. Others would have a leg that was, you know, missing. They'd bring a three-legged lamb. And the priests are saying, that's fine. Yeah, that's all right. Bring them in. Come on, bring them in. It's, it's not evil. That's what that phrase means. Did you notice that twice in verse 8? That phrase, is that not evil? That's not much of a question. It's actually kind of our sarcastic response. It means, yeah, there's no evil in those. Bring them in. Bring them in. It's no big deal. Those are fine. Mutilated sheep, sick bulls, blind goats. God will accept them. All that polluted, half-hearted, haphazard, lax, and apathetic worship given in your sacrifice. It's fine. No big deal. Bring them here. Come on. You know, my dad's turning 65 in October, and I've I've thought a lot about what I would get my dad for his 65th birthday. What I could do to pay back this man who's done so much for me. He, He paid for my college. He put me in sports my whole life, hockey, baseball, golf, bowling. One time, I got a 24 point speeding ticket. (laughs) he paid for most of that ticket my dad would wake up at 4 30 a.m in the winter he would wake me up drive me to hockey practice in the middle of winter he would watch the whole practice for an hour and a half and then afterwards he would go to mcdonald's with me buy me a mcdonald's you know egg mcmuffin so i thought about what kind of present could i get this man 
whom I love so much for his 65th birthday. I, I thought a couple of things here. I thought my dad has this tattoo on his shoulder. And I remember always being a kid and looking up at that tattoo. It's, it's a tattoo of kind of a leprechaun and a four-leaf clover. And I, I thought, I want to be just like my dad. And so a way to honor him is I could get that tattoo. <laughs> right? Because it would say, hey, I want to be just like you. And, and to honor him for his 65th birthday, I think he'd appreciate that. Or I could get him avalanche tickets. I remember the first game I ever went to was a one-to-one tie, avalanche game, one-to-one tie against the Anaheim Ducks in McNichols Arena. I never forgot that game. He's turning 65. Life can become more expensive. I thought maybe I'd pay for his AARP membership. <laughs> Something really special. <laughs> or maybe another more serious one. I thought, hey, maybe I'll, I'll buy a round of golf. My dad would pay for golf constantly through summers for me because I love to play golf. And I thought, maybe I'll buy two tee times, the one tee time that we'll play and then the tee time behind us so that nobody will disrupt us behind us. And we can, we can just play, take our time, enjoy time together. But finally, I decided, those are all great. I know my dad will love those. He's going to feel honored with those. But they would cost a lot, and they would require a lot of time of me. So I've decided instead that I'm going to give him a half-used zoo membership. (laughs) I will. My mom, for my birthday, which is also in October, October 18th, a week after my dad, she bought me a zoo membership about a year ago. And it's been used for about six months now. So I'm going to give that to my dad. You know, right now it's April, so May, June, July, August, September, October... Well, he'll have like a week left, at least. And that's what I'm going to give him. Here you go, Dad. Denver Zoo for a few days. I know you'll love it. No big deal. That's fine. It's enough, isn't it? It's enough. Have you ever thought about your worship in that way? Maybe you can ask it another another way. Would you ever show up 15 minutes late to your dad's surprise party? Or would you ever show up 20 minutes late to an important meeting that your boss was conducting and then in a half-hearted attempt to listen to the meeting, switch between your phone and paying attention? Would you do that? Or would you ever casually say to your boss when you've missed work the past three weeks, it's fine, it's no big deal. I worked hard, sometimes. (laughs) If you would never, ever think about doing that with your dad, if you would never think about doing that with your boss, then it's good to ask ourselves, is that how you treat the worship of God? Now, offering God just the time that's convenient or treating gathered corporate worship on Sunday as something that's a second, third tier concern, thinking, oh, it's no big deal. We can miss a week or two here, a week or two there. It's fine. Now, to be sure, there are circumstances (laughs) that come up that'll mean you cannot make worship on Sunday morning. You have a critical doctor's appointment. You're traveling for a funeral. Your children are sick. You're recuperating from an injury. Those are circumstances that force us to be late or miss or be distracted in worship. Those will happen. But at some point, you have to ask yourselves, if I would never do that to my dad, if I would never do that to my boss, why do I do that with God? especially when he says that kind of worship dishonors and despises his name. Notice, that's exactly what Malachi says here. He says the priests are allowing God's people to bring these blind, sick, mutilated offerings, and he challenges the priests and the people. Verse 8, he says, hey, you're doing that? Well, let me ask you. Present that to your governor, 
Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. The governor was kind of the ruler over Judea, the area that the people of God were living in over Jerusalem. He's saying, hey, the governor's throwing a party and you've been asked to bring the meat. Are you going to bring the governor a blind and decrepit goat, a goat that has parasites? You would never give him such a polluted gift. So why do you think it's acceptable to God? The priests are agitated at this point and they respond they retort how have we despised your name and God just says look at your sacrifices that you're bringing me in worship and all you say is it's no big deal it's no big deal a son honors his father and a servant his master that's the natural order of things if then I'm a father where's my honor and if I'm a master where's my fear says the Lord of hosts the people and the priests of Israel have despised the name of God by their haphazard, half-hearted worship, their polluted offerings, offerings they would never think to bring to their governor. We're all prone to this. We're all prone to this. Just like the priests here, it's easy to show up and offer half-hearted sacrifices, half-hearted and haphazard worship. The other day, in fact, uh, I was asked to do a devotional for my kids' uh, my kid's school. So you show up early and, and you go and you give this devotional. And I have to tell you, I completely forgot about it until the day of. So it's Thursday morning. I'm driving over to their school, which is up in Lakewood. And I'm thinking, I have about 20 minutes. So I better think of something to say. And so I look in the back of my car and I see, oh, you know, there's this, there's this um, bag, this bag of uh, uh, chia seeds that I had put in my shakes so I thought, okay, I'm going to take those chia seeds, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a glass of water there, and I'm going to do this illustration for sin. That sin is like when a nice, clear glass of water gets polluted by something. And I told them that the chia seeds were crow droppings, right? And so I put it into the water, and I show them this, you know, this is what sin does. And Jesus, you know, took the whole entire thing, and they thought I drank crow droppings, right? And they're all laughing. And everybody loved it. Afterward, one of the teachers came. She put her hand on her heart. She was like, that was so good. Thank you so much for coming. And you know what was going on in my head? I said, if you only knew. <laughs> I had zero forethought about what I was going to come here and do. What I offered you there was a half-hearted, half-hazard teaching that, thank God, I drank a shake with chia seeds the day before. And you know my first thought as I'm driving away? That's fine fine. But in reality, it was a polluted offering. I think of just today, right? We're up here and we're singing, behold the throne of God above, speaking about Jesus. And I kid you not, one of the thoughts that went through my head was, thank God the avalanche went up 2-1 in the series yesterday. That's what I was thinking. Half-hearted, distracted, and Malachi's coming here with this challenge, this rebuke to get underneath our skin, to expose these polluted sacrifices that seem to come naturally from us. And the next thing he does is he pleads. He pleads with the people of God. He pleads with us. He pleads with the priests. Verse 9, he says, And now, priests, entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us, with such a 
gift from your hand, these polluted sacrifices? Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. God's desire is that he would be worshipped in honor and thanksgiving as a gracious heavenly father with a sense of awe-inspiring fear as our master. If that's not the intent, if that's not the heart, then it's simple. He's saying it would be better if you shut the whole thing down. Close the door. Don't present those sacrifices. It's nothing more than vain, haphazard, half-hearted, polluted worship that does not honor God. This worship, these offerings, these sacrifices, they were so vitally important. God required the people to give, to give a firstborn male lamb without spot, without blemish, without defect, a perfect sacrifice because these sacrifices showed exactly what God the Father himself was going to give for us. That's why they were so important. God was showing you need a perfect, spotless, firstborn male sacrifice in order to atone for your sin, and you can never give it. Instead, I will give it. That's what the whole purpose of the temple, the priesthood, the offering, the sacrifices, the altar, all of them were a way of showing God's people year in, year out, on a regular basis, over and over and over again, through festivals and Sabbaths, that their sin and polluted hearts needed a perfect sacrifice to atone for their sin. It had to be a perfect firstborn male without blemish or sin. In other words, they needed Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They needed the sinless, perfect Son of God sent by the Father to be a sacrifice for their sin. Nothing else could atone for their sins. And here are the priests saying, yeah, it's okay. Bring in the polluted offering. Bring in the offering that has three legs. It's totally fine. You realize the repercussions of this, don't you? We just study through the Gospel of Mark and throughout the Gospel of Mark, because the people had not been instructed by the priests for years about the kind of sacrifice needed for sin. Let me ask you, for those of you who were with us in the Gospel of Mark, did the people recognize Jesus when they saw him? <laughs> no. Because they were never instructed that what you need is a perfect, spotless lamb to atone for your sins. They were just told, yeah, that's fine. Bring it in. God is the father of his people who would sacrifice his own son so that his name might be worshipped and honored. And here are the people, the priests, treating these sacrifices, treating God as one who is less important, less honorable than the governor. So in verse 11, God reminds them just how important these sacrifices were and just how glorious and important he is. He reminds them, though he's worshipped in Jerusalem now, in this small temple now, by this new priesthood now, it's not always going to be this way. He reminds them, verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For not my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Even though God is worshipped now in these seemingly insignificant sacrifices, he's saying a day is coming when he will be worshipped throughout all creation. All the earth 
will worship him eternally. From the rising of the sun to its setting, his name will be honored and made great in every nation on earth. Israel was making sacrifices in their temple and it foreshadowed this greater sacrifice to come when Jesus would be sacrificed, crucified for the sins of the world. You see how important these sacrifices were? It's fascinating, almost 500 years after Malachi, about the year 100 AD, the apostle John, who was one of Jesus' earliest followers, he actually gets a glimpse, a vision of what Malachi is talking about right here, that one day God will be honored, worshiped, throughout all the earth, from the rising of the sun to its setting. John, we're told, he's taken up in this vision and he looks up into heaven and he sees, as he looks at this throne in the center of heaven, it says, then he looked and he heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures, these four living creatures represent all of the created world. These four living creatures said, amen. And the elders who represent the church of God fell down and worshiped. Wow. Israel, man, they are dumb. <laughs> they, they offered sacrifices that they wouldn't even offer the governor forgetting just how great and glorious and honorable this God truly is. This is the God who offered his own son, the lamb, the king, as a perfect sin offering to save us from sin. This is the God who, because of that offering, will be worshipped from the rising of the sun to its setting. This is the God whose name will be great among the nations, the God to whom every creature on earth worships eternally. And notice, even after hearing this, verse 11, after hearing how glorious God is and the worship that he deserves and that future glory which will cover the earth, what's their response to all this? Well, verse 13. Their response is, Oh, man, what a weariness this is. Oh, boy, worship is so mundane. It's such a bore. I get to it when I can. I don't think it's time to go this Sunday. And they snored at it. That's like this. <laughs> it's no big deal. It's fine. I can show up when it's most convenient. I can just listen to a podcast of the teaching later. Download some, you know, temple music. In fact, those things help me most spiritually anyway. They're better than this dull thing that we're doing here. Friends, we need to repent. Worship then and worship now is a foretaste of the great day to come eternally in eternity when God will be worshiped, his name will be exalted. And at the name of Jesus, the lamb, we will all bow and honor God forever. After all, if we snort at worship now, 
What makes us think that we will embrace worship in eternity? We need to repent. Turn back to God. Plead his grace. Plead his favor. God, forgive us for our half-hearted, insincere worship. And as Malachi closes, he's already pled with the people. He's exposed their sin of polluted worship. And as Malachi closes, verse 14, again, speaking for God, Malachi, he ends with this sober warning in verse 14. He says, quote, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Israel, bring the male. Bring the male that you promised. Bring the spotless, firstborn, perfect sacrifice. That's what your soul needs, Israel. You need the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to which these sacrifices point. So bring the male you vowed to give. If you don't, then the only thing you can expect, Israel, is God's judgment and his curse for your sin and pollution. You know, this idea of God's curse, this is a reference back to what would happen in the temple. What would happen? It, a person would bring the priest this, this worship offering, this sacrifice, and the priest would take this and he would put it on the altar. He would slaughter this lamb, spilling its blood over the altar, and then he would burn it as an offering to the Lord, as a sin offering. And then after that sacrifice, the priest would come and he would stretch out his hands and say a blessing over the people. He would essentially say, because of this sacrifice for sin, this perfect spotless lamb, now he receives the curse and you, Israel, receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace forever. The only way the people could receive that blessing was if the perfect lamb took the curse. It's God's way of saying you will either have the curse of sin placed on the perfect sacrifice or you will bear it on yourself. Friends, God the Father himself has offered the sacrifice. The sacrifice we can never bring. Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb of God, has been sacrificed. And in so doing, God has restored the natural order of things. Through that sacrifice, he has drawn sinful people to himself. As a, as a father draws his children to himself. And now he says he has given us a new heart to worship him, to adore him, and to praise him because of that once perfect sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ, his own son. How could we ever offer him half-hearted worship again? How could we? Friends, let's repent. Because this God, he is a great king. And his name, his beautiful name, is now feared among the nations, among us. Let's pray. Lord, we do repent. We are sorry for the ways that we've dishonored you, that we've despised your name, that we have given half-hearted things, half-hearted worship to you. And we stand in awe 
that even though we at times are insolent, we at times are lukewarm, that we oftentimes have dishonored you and disrespected you and despised you, you still draw us back. And that you, God, in place of our polluted offerings, have given the perfect offering for sin, your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that his name one day will be worshipped from the rising of the sun to its setting. And God, as you bring that promise to fulfillment, help us live into that promise now. Help us worship you, honor your name, lift up your name, and praise you, the God from whom all blessings flow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.